For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. this day Elizabeth Warren is still not Native American welcome everybody over the line show.com off the top that's the website to go to to get your hands on everything over the line listen to the show watch videos buy merch very soon I'm not gonna talk about that because I keep telling y'all it's on the way and it's not here yet but it's coming promise also all of our social media is on there yada 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 you know the drill um man what a weekend it's been in the news uh as you know we have presidential campaigns that are starting up which is always uh an interesting aspect to politics Election cycles are always exciting and never a dull moment when that stuff's going on. And I think we've officially entered that realm, entered that time where uh, 2020 is on its way. So uh, here we go. Excited about that. Also excited about the AAF. If any of you guys have paid attention to that, I know. A lot of you guys that listen are from the state of Alabama, but we have listeners all over the country. Uh, and there's only eight or ten teams in this league, but it's a new football league, okay? And it's backed by the NFL. So you've got a lot of former NFL players. It's almost the equivalent of a minor league baseball team, if you will. Now, they don't have the partnerships like, for instance, in Birmingham, Alabama, 
uh, they're part of the, the Chicago White Sox, right? They don't have that going on just yet, uh, but I think they're working on that where Birmingham's AAF football team, the Birmingham Iron, will be tied to the Pittsburgh Steelers, if I'm not mistaken. I don't really know how that works. I'm just rambling. So uh, uh, I just want to seem like I know what I'm talking about. But uh, the first game was yesterday, and it was very exciting, at least for me, because uh, those of us that are that live here in Birmingham or live in Alabama, we don't have pro teams in any sport. At least in the main three sports, which is, you know, baseball, basketball, and, and football. No pro teams. And whether that's saying something about us and not having the ability to, to, to support a franchise or whatever, so be it, whatever. But we don't have one. So when something like this happens, there is a bit of excitement surrounding it. Not to mention, we've got a pro team that's not just a bunch of no-name players. It's people we recognize, people from the University of Alabama, people from the NFL. We we know the names, and we're excited to, to see them play. I didn't go to the game last night. I was in the area giving some people rides from the game. Uh, but I did watch it on TV, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm excited. I'm actually going to try to go to the game this coming weekend. I think it's a Saturday game. Uh, and it should be pretty awesome. So, Birmingham Iron, the name of the team, Birmingham Iron, they won 26 to zip against the Memphis Express. Another thing is, and, and my girlfriend and I were talking about this, are the names. I guess the mascots, if you will, of these of these football teams, a lot of them are just bizarre. Like you've got the Arizona Hot Shots, you've got the Atlanta Legends, you've got I don't know. It just it sounds like hockey teams opposed to uh, football teams. I'm just glad Birmingham ended up with something that's not weird. Like the Iron Fits, we're the we're the Iron City, you know. We were built on the iron industry, the steel mills. So it works. And our mascot is the Vulcan, which uh, works out because we have the big statue of Vulcan. But that's exciting. I'm excited about that. I hope you guys got to watch it. If you didn't, I I ask you to consider actually uh, spending some time watching that. It's uh, pretty fun. P. Diddy and and myself and my girlfriend watched it yesterday, and and, uh, we enjoyed it some good football and they're a little more rough they're not as uptight on the penalties so if you've got a an outside linebacker that comes in and like clobbers the opponent's quarterback they won't call the penalty which i think is fantastic well some of the other rules oh uh there's no extra points so if you score a touchdown you don't kick a field goal you have to go for two and and also the game in general is more fast paced like if uh the team the if your team scores a touchdown or a field goal, if I'm not mistaken, this is how it works. Then the other team, you don't kick off to the other team. They just start on the 25. They don't take a bunch of commercial breaks and all this kind of stuff. It was good. I liked it. I like it. So if y'all didn't watch it, try it out. Uh, something else on the football end of things. Can I bring this up? My, I, I know, and I'm trying to transition this podcast into a, a little bit of something else. Not not completely something else, but like a out of variety to what we do here. Um, and that is not talk about politics all day, every day. I mean, we're going to obviously stay as our foundation is, is, is politics, but I want to add in some different stuff that uh, 
kind of, I don't know, lightens the mood or something. All right. But this story, speaking of football, caught me off guard, okay? Now, this is um, this is Tom Brady at some sort of event in New England. It's uh, some, some sort of Gillette event. You know, Gillette's one of the big sponsors of of the Patriots, they're like, uh, you know, Gillette Stadium or whatever. And he's talking about, while he's getting, a, a, I guess, a professional shave on stage by some dude, he's got the apron on and he's all laid back and he's telling the audience about this story of how Giselle, his wife, does all these different things before the game, like makes him... Uh, in a little altar, I guess, to pray at and makes him drink this this potion. Like she's she's a self-proclaimed good witch. And I, I've never heard this before. Okay. This is the first time I'm hearing that Tom Brady is married to a witch, which kind of freaks me out. But he goes and he recounts this story, and it's one of the more bizarre things I've ever heard in football. I want to play it for you. I don't know how good the audio is on this as as far as uh, him telling it himself. But if it doesn't turn out where we can hear it, then I'll just, I've got the transcript. And I'll just read you what he said. But it was weird. He even goes into how she predicts, or she has predicted not just some of the games that they played, but predicted some of the seasons like how the seasons have turned out and she was spot on so maybe there is something to this uh to this witchcraft stuff okay i don't think we're gonna have the audio so here's what we're gonna do thanks a lot gillette you can't even give me the audio um i'll go through and read this it says um he said as he was talking at this event he said i've learned a lot from my wife over the years uh, he said, she's so about the power of intention, you know, and believing things that are and believing things that are really going to happen. That doesn't make sense, but just work with me. He says her focus is uh, on the power of intention and believing things in advance isn't just some philosophical uh, philosophical. There we go perspective he made it clear that in his follow-up comments it's some sort of mystical thing he said before games his wife always makes a little altar for me at the game because she just wills it so much is he speaking in a different language why am i not understanding what he's saying he said so she put together a little altar for me that i could bring with pictures of my kids and I have these little special stones and healing stones and protection stones. And she has me wear a necklace and take these drops she makes. I say all of these mantras. He said, I stopped questioning her a long time ago. I did. I just shut up and I listened. He said at first he thought it was kind of crazy, but he ended up just going with it. But at the altar, but the altar and the mystical power stones aren't all the tricks that Giselle has up her good witch sleeves. 
He says she's accurately predicted the outcome of recent seasons. He said about four years ago, we were playing the Seahawks, and she said, you better listen to me. This is your year, but this is all the things you're going to have to do to win. And I did those things, and by God, you know, it worked. He said she also accurately predicted that he wouldn't win the championship in 2015, saying, quote, you know I love you, but this isn't going to be your year. When he asked about 2016, she said 2016 is going to be your year. He said, so it was early January this year, and I said, babe, I'm asking, do we have a chance? And she said, yeah, but you're going to have to do a lot of work. And you're really going to have to listen to me. After he won yet another Super Bowl ring last month, he said she told him, quote, You're lucky you married a witch. I'm just a good witch. Okay. Now let me just back up a second. Remember when the documentary about Tom Brady was being shot and some some footage leaked out and it was him like laying on a massage table and his kid was in the room. His kid's probably like my kid's age, like nine or ten. And uh, the kid asked him a question or whatever. And he said, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the kid starts to leave and he's like, where you going? I didn't give my kiss. And then the kid comes up and gives him a peck on the lips. I think. As a father and son type of deal, once they're that age, it's probably time to cut out the the kissing on the lips. We do it when they're little bitty kids. It's cute, whatever. But you cut that out after a while. But he goes up and he pecks him. It's really not that big of a deal. And then the kid starts to walk off and he's like, wait a minute, that wasn't a good kiss. And so the kid comes back and and he seems distraught about it, okay? But it's just not in a he's in danger kind of way. Just in a he's just a frustrated kid. And he goes up and he locks lips with his dad for what seems like five full seconds. This probably wasn't that long. But still, it was just weird. And when I brought that up and said it was weird, I caused a lot of heat. Not necessarily from the people that listen to the show, but from people online, like on the YouTube video. And I'm like, it's just weird to me. Okay? Well, now... Here we are, coming full circle, yet with another weird moment from Tom Brady, okay? Where his wife is a witch. She's got him rubbing his magical stones. She's got him drinking potion. And she's got him doing, praying at some sort of altar at Gillette Stadium. It's just weird, okay? It's just weird. When you're Tom Brady... And no offense to his wife, no offense to women, no offense to anybody. But when you're Tom Brady, and before a big game, your wife says, all right, you can win this game, you just got to do what I tell you to do. Yes, you can listen and pretend like you're going to take her advice. But at some point, you got to be like, babe, I'm Tom Brady. I don't know if you've seen my record, but I'm pretty good at football. And I'm pretty good at decision making. I don't know that I need a supermodel's advice on winning this game. That's just me. But the rest of that stuff, super weird. Super weird. And no matter what you think about witchcraft, it being evil, whatever, you don't believe in it, whatever the case is, it doesn't matter. Just in a normal 
random person, random women, random dude, us, you know, average Americans, when we look at something like that, it's bizarre. We think it's weird. I don't I don't see that as normal. But take it for what it's worth. I just my only point is I told y'all Tom Brady was weird. I told y'all that a long time ago. Uh, also, the Grammys last night. Did anybody watch the Grammys? I know how much you guys love the Grammys. I don't know what happened during the Grammys last night other than I think at the beginning there was a, a group of women came out and Michelle Obama was within that group, I guess, to kick off the show or whatever. And uh, Michelle got up there and was talking about Motown. Of course, she opened her mouth, got four words out, and the crowd just goes nuts. And people are like fainting in the crowd and tears streaming down their face. All these Hollywood elites, people from the music industry, they just, oh, Michelle Obama. Fawning over Michelle's Adam's apple. It was actually... Um, it was actually pretty sad to see uh, to see people <laughs> worship somebody. And nothing against Michelle Obama. You know, I'm not I'm not in the business of offending people on this Monday. I'm just not not planning on doing it. But people, the same people that literally are groupies for the Obama are the same people that will hammer somebody for supporting Trump and supporting Trump in an Adam way, you know, you you really, really support Trump, like myself. Those same people that are tearing up at the side of Michelle Obama would hammer someone like me for my support of Donald Trump. So the hypocrisy is is always there, and it's thriving. Don't forget that. But outside of the Michelle Obama gimmick, you had two. Not one, count them two different uh, attendees wearing pro-Trump swag. That's right. Now, for the third time, Joy Villa, if you recall her, she wore uh, uh, once, I don't know if this was the last time, but she wore a Make America Great Again dress. She is a very outspoken Trump supporter. Uh, this time... She wore a dress that, uh, on the front, it looks like just a regular dress. But as she turns around, on the back, it looks like the, the album art for Pink Floyd's song, The Wall. So it's got the bricks, and then in the, at the bottom, in red font, it says, Build the Wall. So she wears a dress that says "Build the Wall," and for those of you on uh, on the YouTube's, I'll show you here what this looks like. Right there in the middle is Joy Villa with her "Build the Wall" dress. Now, she was not the only one. The other one was a fella by the name of Ricky Rebel. Now, when I heard the name Ricky Rebel, I had no friggin' clue who that was. Oh, let me say this, too. Joey Villa had a red purse 
and it really just looked like a box, but it says uh, Make America Great Again. It's a red purse, Make America Great Again on the front. It was amazing. But Ricky Rebel, I have no idea who that is. So I did a little research. He uh, he is wearing, let me see if I can find his outfit to show you guys on YouTube. It's uh, almost just like a campaign poster looking deal for Trump. It just says Trump on the back. And actually, it was a reversible jacket, so he could turn it inside out. And then it looks like a regular white jacket with the Trump stuff on the inside. Uh, really flashy stuff that you expect Hollywood to wear. Uh, and it says, keep America great on the front. But I do my research on uh, Ricky Rockstar. What was his name? Ricky Ricky Rebel. And Ricky Rebel is like a, a pop star, or a t t t dance music, whatever. I've yet to listen to any of his music. I need to go do that. Maybe we'll play some on the show. And uh, anyway, the best part about this is Ricky Rebel is... Now, I haven't confirmed this, but all of my research points to this being the case. Ricky Rebel is gay. And flamboyantly gay. He's gay, but he is an adamant Trump supporter. Because of the prosperity that this presidency has brought to this country. I watched a little short interview with him on the red carpet, and that's basically what he said. So support this president because he's... He's out here fighting for everybody. He's out here making life better for every single person. Now, I love the fact that this dude is a Trump supporter, but I also love the fact that he's a gay Trump supporter, simply because gay supporters drive liberals insane. And there's nothing better than that. Absolutely Nothing better than that. All right, I've got some Ricky Rebel. Y'all want to hear some Ricky Rebel? Keep in mind, I haven't heard this stuff yet, so uh, we're both hearing it for the first time. Hey, I'm DJ. Hey, I'm DJ. Oh, here we go. Drop the bass. Okay, that's enough. I mean, I, I support Ricky Rebel, but not by listening to his music. I can't handle that. I just can't do it. Uh, so anyway, that was super cool. Actually, we're in contact right now with Joy Villa, uh, who said she would love to come on the new podcast. So we're going to try to bring her on maybe, uh, tomorrow or, or sometime this week. We got to work all that out, but we'll talk to her about that. What maybe people said to her while she was there, but just generally, uh, what it's like being a African-American Trump supporter, not only an African-American Trump supporter, but being one of those in the entertainment industry and what she deals with. Because, you know, you can be an average American and get attacked on the street for wearing a red MAGA hat, much less be in the cesspool of the entertainment industry and openly supporting Donald Trump. You will be cast from society as uh, 
most of you guys know. But when we come back, we'll talk about some of the border stuff. Donald Trump holding a campaign rally tonight on the southern border. It promises to be amazing. Hope you guys get to watch it. Also, the announcements of presidential campaigns over the weekend and more drama in Virginia. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse for the politicians in Virginia, it is at this point spiraling out of control. So we'll uh, we'll give you that. Play some audio from those guys. Let me remind you first before we flip over to the other side. Nick the Marketer, who uh, supports this show, helped us with our website, all kinds of stuff. And NickTheMarketer.com is their website. They uh, they've been with myself. They were with uh, uh, me and Jessica when we were doing the line. As you see, I'm sporting my line shirt. Uh, and that has bled over to this podcast where they are still backing us. Nick, uh, Nick Hord, who is the owner of NickTheMarketer.com, fantastic guy with a fantastic business. This guy is driven and committed to making sure the people that he works for, the websites that he's putting together, the social media that he's doing the up, upkeep on, that those guys are getting their money's worth. They've got their own software that allows business owners who are working with Nick to go on it anytime they want to and see who and how many people are going to their website, what they're looking at, if they're contacting their business, and every stat you can think of. You, the business owner, you would have access to that 24-7. The same things that Nick and his team can see, you can see as well. So if you are a business owner, large or small, or if uh, you just have a need for a website, you, you offer services, you've got anything going on that requires a website, search engine optimization, you want to make sure people, when they go on Google, they see your website, he can make that happen for you. And he takes clicks and he turns them into customers. NickTheMarketer.com, 205-610-9550 is the number. 205 610 9550. And again, com. I cannot say enough good things about those guys. I love them to death. And I could not be happier to, uh, to have them as part of the Over the Line family. We had been talking about teaming up well before this podcast launched. So we're excited to uh, be making it happen. Over the Line Show.com. We'll be back on the other side. Y'all hang tight.
Are you looking to get the word out and help grow your business? Hey, it's Andrew from Over the Line, the podcast. We are looking to partner with brand new business owners to help grow their business and get the word out to our listeners so we can link them up with the best businesses around. They spend their hard-earned money on these products, on these services, and we want to make sure we get them teamed up with the right people. If you're interested in teaming up with this podcast and letting people know about your business, contact me, Andrew, at OverTheLineShow.com. That's Andrew at OverTheLineShow.com. Down to my knees I stood in line waiting to shine Now is my time My mother said that day to me This land is for the free And I've been waiting for so long No one, no one knows Now it's my time I won't be left behind I'm America, drink the not even lying about this, y'all. <laughs> I just saw an article. And the headline... You ready for this? The headline says, Senator Schumer says the seawall is going to get built. Chuck Schumer is in his home state of New York in Staten Island. And yesterday, he announced that construction of the East Shore Seawall is going to be moving forward. He said the seawall is going to get built, and we're going to be a lot safer, God forbid, another storm like Hurricane Sandy occurs. Effectively saying, walls work. Like, you can't make that up. (laughs) And I I just saw that. That happened yesterday. I had no idea. Chuck Schumer says walls work. Imagine that. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I know Democrats cause us all these problems and their headache and whatever. But I really don't know what I would do without Democrats. I don't. I wouldn't survive. I definitely wouldn't have this show. I would have never made it on uh, public airwaves. I would have had nothing to offer you guys if it weren't for Democrats. So when you guys think about bashing Democrats and all that kind of stuff, just remember, this world would not be half as entertaining 
without Democrats in our lives, without the Schumers, without the Pelosi's, without the gifts that the state of New York gives us, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's something to be grateful for. Democrats are not all bad. Just remember that. But on the front of immigration, let's talk a little bit about that. As I said before we went to break, uh, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, will be holding a rally in El Paso, Texas, just north of Mexico at the southern border. That going on tonight. I believe that's tonight. Do I have that mixed up? I'm pretty sure that's going down tonight. So keep an eye on that. We will uh, we'll post a live feed to that on the Facebook page. So if you haven't added over the line on Facebook, do so. And just in case you're not around the TV or whatever, you'll be able to uh, watch it right there on your Facebox. Um, but something interesting, since he's headed down to Texas, I noticed some stuff moving through the Texas legislature. And there are some bills that are being proposed. And this, I think, is by two GOP members. They are proposing that Texas pays for their portion of the wall. They are saying, listen, we understand that Trump's doing what he can. And he's trying to do it the right way. But we here in Texas, we don't have time to play politics. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to fit it in our budget to just build our portion of the wall. And I think that's a fantastic idea. There are several, and there's a giant portion of the border that already has walls or barriers, and a lot of them have been upgraded and all this, that, and the other. Even California has uh, a good chunk of uh, wall going across their state. Now, if they had the option, they would opt out of having a wall at all because they are so accepting, just like the uh, city council in Los Angeles, they have uh, filed a resolution formally declaring themselves a sanctuary city. Best of luck to you, buddy. Uh, I'm sure the illegal immigrants are going to be very excited to come to the beautiful streets filled with human feces and live in L.A. Can you, can you imagine? Think about this. Like, you're from Mexico, you're from Guatemala, Honduras, whatever. You make your way all the way up Mexico, all the way through Mexico. You get up there and you're like, oh, I see. LA says we can live there, a new sanctuary city. And then you get up, you cross the border, you get to LA, and you're like, what is this? Everybody in this city is gay, and the streets are filled with poop. I'm going back to Mexico. Maybe that's how we get them back home. Or at least to enter the right way. They're like, I don't want to go to L.A. I, I'm, uh, I'm going back to Mexico. But anyway, I think that's a fantastic idea. I think uh, Governor Kay Ivey here in the state of Alabama could put something together. I know uh, Mississippi would uh, uh, be on board. Let's say Alabama. <laughs> we, don't, we don't really need a wall. But the border states, these guys... Um, they would be on board. They would figure out something. And it wouldn't solve the problem all the way across. 
but it would cover, especially if you're talking about Texas, the largest state in the union, it would cover a majority of what we have left. And so at that point, the Democrats' measly $1.7 billion that they're offering, we can take it and actually finish that project, if you think about it. So I'm in support of that. I say, get out there and um, make it happen. Get it together, Texas. Build that wall. Uh, but nonetheless, outside of that, the rally tonight, I highly encourage y'all to watch it. It's going to be good, especially with, with Trump being on the border. He's coming off the heels of a fantastic State of the Union speech. And now he's going to do his first campaign rally for the new election cycle at the one place that has been the, the major topic of discussion for most of his presidency, and that is the crisis on the border. He's going to be there, and, and the, the place is going to be filled with uh, uh, people who've been directly affected by that stuff, who see it every day. I'm sure there'll be tons of uh, Border Patrol agents. You may even see him bring some Border Patrol agents up on stage and speak. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Knowing how Donald Trump does things, I could see that totally happening. Uh, but outside of the Democrats obstructing wall funding, what else are they doing? Well, they have uh, made it clear that this week they plan to vote to criminalize private gun sales. That's right. A, um, a pastime that Americans have enjoyed since 1791 which is when the uh, Second Amendment was ratified, the Democrats are looking to put an end to that. They want to make it illegal for you to sell a gun to your neighbor that you've known for decades or sell a gun to your childhood friend that you've known your whole life or to sell a gun to your family member, a child, a grandpa, whatever, makes it illegal for a transaction to be made. And knowing the Democrats, I haven't seen this bill, but that would also include giving away a gun. Democrats want every gun to be registered with the federal government so they can know Who's, who owns these guns at what given time, blah, 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 blah. It'll never happen. It'll never work. You got too many guns on the street that you won't be able to track down. But whatever. That's what they want. So now here they are yet again doing the same thing they've always done, which is punishing responsible gun owners. Responsible gun owners are the ones that sell a gun to another another person and and normally here's the thing you don't ever hear about a mass shooting or a terrorist attack where the terrorist or the the the, the kid that shot up the school says yeah I bought that gun from my grandpa they usually buy it from a gun store because there is nothing showing that they uh they're going to do anything like this. No criminal record, no nothing. 
And usually the breakdown as to why this person fell through the cracks when you're talking about mass shooters is usually a breakdown by police, i.e. Broward County, Scott Israel, uh, Scott Peterson, uh, Marjorie Stoneman, Stoneman Douglas High School. Take your pick. It's never a situation where a gun is sold to a friend. It's not. And when a, a, a responsible gun owner sells a firearm to a friend or a family member or whatever, they don't do so knowing that that person has a mental illness or that person is unstable. Because they're not, they're, they're, they're putting their own life in danger if they do that. If they think the person's unhinged. So they don't do that kind of thing. And the only people that are going to follow these laws are the people that don't do that kind of stuff. The people that don't put anyone in danger with a firearm transaction are the only ones that are going to be obligated or feel the need to follow that law because they don't want to be in trouble. Now, the people that this law will not affect are those within the inner city selling guns back and forth to each other in the streets of Chicago, in the streets of Birmingham, in the streets of any city where guns are sold on a daily basis on the black market. Those guys are already not following the laws. So if the Democrats put a new law in place, and keep in mind this won't get past the Senate. God, I hope it doesn't get past the Senate. Those guys are not going to follow these laws. You can put in a million gun laws. You can call for an outright gun ban. And these people on the streets are not going to follow your law. They're not going to turn in your gun. They're their guns. They're not going to do anything you say. If you want their gun, you will physically have to catch them and find the firearm on them. It's the only way you're going to get their gun. Yet all the law-abiding citizens who will continue to follow the law, no matter how much they disagree with it, I think to an extent, once we get to gun confiscation, that may be a different story. If you do that, and you force the law-abiding citizens to follow unjust laws and turn in their guns, the people that don't turn in their guns, the bad guys, they still have them. And so now you've got a bunch of good guys without guns and a bunch of bad guys with guns. It's common sense. And I realize this is not gun confiscation. But as we continue to allow small things, and I don't even think this private gun sales thing is a small thing. But as long as we continue to allow these things, it will progress. That's why people lost their mind over Donald Trump being for the bump stock ban. Nobody cares if a bump stock is available or not. Nobody uses a bump stock. If you do, it's for novelty purposes. You want to go out to the shooting range and fire off, you know, 500 rounds on your AR-15 in a short amount of time. Yeah, you use a bump stock. But nobody, nobody necessarily wants to have a bump stock. It's not that big of a deal. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of things in the firearm world that's a lot cooler than a bump stock. But it was the fact that that was allowed to go through, and the president supported it, and Republicans supported it, that bothered people. Not because the bump stock was gone, but because they knew 
that that cracks the door for more legislation to make its way through. And the Democrats will hang their hat on that with this new legislation that they'll be voting on this week. They will remind people that Donald Trump banned bump stocks. That Donald Trump set the precedence for this to continue to go forward, for us to keep going. We're, we're on the right path. We've got the momentum. We're stopping gun crimes. We're stopping mass shootings. Meanwhile, murders in the street of those people that will not follow the law, uh, they continue to happen. I got to tell you, th- th- this whole thing surrounds people being shot. Am I right? The whole reason for this conversation is because people are sometimes shot with a firearm. Do we not realize that the people that shoot others with a gun don't follow the law? It's against the law to shoot someone, okay? So they're showing their willingness to break the law. Unless, obviously, self-defense or whatever. They're showing their willingness to, to break the law. So if you put a stupid ban on private gun sales or whatever those people that shoot people they don't care they're already not listening to the the biggest law you have which is do not murder people so they're not gonna they're not gonna listen to your stupid private gun sales sales pitch they're not gonna do it they don't care uh i know it's frustrating for some of y'all because you're like man i'm just a Good old boy, a good old girl from Alabama, from wherever, average American. I'm not a smart person. I'm not a I'm not a politically savvy person, but even I know this kind of common sense stuff. Democrats know it as well. But they've got a bigger agenda in mind. And it revolves around two things money and power. The power, obviously, to make people feel safe and make them feel like they need the government to survive. They need the government to keep them safe, to keep them financially stable, to feed them, to clothe them, to provide them a roof over their head. That's, that's what the Democrats' objective is, and that's where the socialism stuff comes in. They want to be able to control the lives of the American people. That's the power they want. Where the money comes in is just that, on the socialism aspect. And socialism always turns out this way. When I was on TV with uh, Scott Beeson last week, uh, he played a a little cartoon. It was uh, it was actually pretty funny, but it was this guy convincing this other dude that uh, we need to go with socialism. And so the dude was hesitant about it, and he's like, come on, man, let's do a little socialism. And so he finally agrees, and the next thing he knows, they're all standing in like a, a pile of bones and, and skulls. Everybody had died because they tried socialism. He's like, well, that didn't really go as planned. But I'm telling you, this next time is the time it's going to work. And they show up, and it's a bunch of bones and skulls. Same thing happened. It happens three, four, five times. And he's like, we're almost there. I can feel it. And that's what socialism is. It's history repeating itself 
And people saying, no, 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 they didn't do it the right way. I know the right way to do it. Next time it's going to work. Next time socialism is going to work. But that's what the Democrats want. Because in socialism, what happens is the majority, the population, remains poor. They, they, they spiral into a society. Because if everybody's getting the same thing, keep in mind, you tell somebody, you tell everybody, hey, we're all going to have the same thing and we're all going to be fair and the, the, the playing field is going to be level for everybody. Uh, but you still got to go to work. Still got to go work 40 hours a week. You don't have to. It's not mandatory, but, uh, you know, you need to. You're still going to get what, what we give you. You're still going to get your, your weekly uh, salary or allowance, whatever we give you. But you still need to go work or whatever. But we're not going to force you to. So what are the people, uh, you got somebody working 40 hours a week that's getting the exact same thing that you get. Where is the other person's desire to, to go out and work those same 40 hours? Or where's that person's desire to go get a job that is much more difficult than the other person if they're going to be receiving the same thing? It magically disappears. Nobody's going to want to go do the jobs that are required to keep this country running if the drive through lady at McDonald's is making the same amount of money that they are. But that's how socialism works. It's fairness. Everything's fair. Except for the fact that you do a job that puts your life in danger while somebody else cooks fries. That part's not fair. But the finances, that's fair. And that's what counts. So anyway, that's what the Democrats have going on this week, promoting socialism and trying to gain power. Uh, other Democrats announcing that they are running for president. They're going to stand up against this evil, evil Donald Trump. They're going to go toe-to-toe with him and take him down. And they're going to fix this country and set it on the right path which is apparently in the opposite direction of where we're going. We're heading in the direction of jobs and prosperity and low gas prices and being the largest economy in the world, the biggest oil producer in the world, the leader in, uh, in, in military. All those things are bad, and Democrats want to go the opposite direction. That's, that's their words, not mine. They want to fix this country. My favorite part is, and I heard Chuck Schumer saying this this morning, uh, he was talking about how um, the big problem is the fact that uh, wage growth in this country is not matching productivity. So he was effectively, and just like the seawall stuff, he was effectively admitting that the economy is doing great. And we're really... Uh, not only pumping out jobs, but pumping out goods and uh, everything. So many businesses are booming. He's like, but wage, wages aren't rising at the pace to, to keep up with, with the production that we're doing in this country. Donald Trump has a keen way of backing people into a situation where they accidentally admit the truth about what's going on in this country. And I absolutely love that about him. Here's what we're going to do when we get back on the other side. I'm going to tell you about Amy Klobuchar. 
who announced that she was running for president over the weekend amidst a snowstorm. That's right. Such a brave and tough woman to be out in the snow announcing her presidential run. She's also uh, been exposed for throwing things at staffers as of last week, but that's neither here nor there. We'll talk about it on the other side. Overthelineshow.com. Make sure you go sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. Also, all of our social media stuff's on there. Make sure you add us, follow us. We'll give you everything you need. Yeah. Andrew McLean hanging out with you this Monday, February 11th. 2019. Y'all hang tight. Klobuchar, 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 announcing in a very snowy backdrop over the weekend that she is, in fact, running for president. And um, it's funny that just last week, a report came out, I believe from the Washington Post, 
that she was very abusive towards her staffers. Abusive in the sense of being verbally and emotionally abusive to those guys and gals, even throwing things at them. <laughs> Which is... If you've ever watched her speak, she's very... She's she's almost like... um, uh, Who am I thinking of? Uh... Bah, the the chick that uh, made the big powerful speech on the the uh, the Senate floor during the Kavanaugh stuff from the GOP. Crap, I can't think of her name off the top of my head. It'll hit me in a minute. She's like her. She's got a very uh, a meek mannered voice that almost sounds like she's on the verge of crying all the time. So it's funny to to hear that she is. Uh, a violent person that throws fits of rage uh, from time to time at her staffers. So her announcing she is running for president brings a new meaning to throwing your hat in the ring. But she was asked right after she announced that uh, she was running for president, after she came off the stage, she was approached by a very fair and balanced and hard-hitting journalist who asked the tough questions uh, about her uh, being mean and and verbally abusive and throwing things. Except they didn't phrase it quite like that. They just simply asked her um, about the accusations that she was a tough boss. (laughs) Right. They didn't... They didn't give any details. They they didn't mention anything that, that the report said about throwing things at staffers or cussing them out or making them break down and cry. They just said, what do you think about being a tough boss? Listen to this exchange right here between uh, reporters and Klobuchar. This is on MSNBC uh, from, I don't even know what show this is. It's something. Listen to this responding to multiple reports suggesting that she has at times been abusive and cruel to members of her staff and that it has impacted her ability to recruit campaign staffers. Here's what she told our Ali Vitale after wrapping up her speech earlier. Senator, some of the headlines this week talked about you are a pretty tough boss. What's your reaction when you see some of those headlines? Is that You know, I love our staff. Look at this incredible event they put together. And yes, I can be tough. And yes, I can push people. I know that. And I have, I'd say, high expectations for myself. I have high expectations for the people that work for me. But I have high expectations for this country. Man. Uh, hard-hitting journalism right there. What do you think about the accusations that you're a tough boss? And then she flips it around and is like, oh, yeah, I'm a tough boss because I've got high expectations for myself and for this country. I'm a tough boss like Nick Saban. Oh. I'm telling you, this is going to be entertaining. And, and Klobuchar, uh, who, you know, the, the Democrats all along, they wanted, they're like, we're not going to engage in the style of tactics that Donald Trump uses. And then almost immediately, they're attacking Donald Trump on Twitter, which is absolutely great. Here's the thing. And the, the, the Republicans know this because they experienced it firsthand during the campaign. 
If you want to try to beat Donald Trump at his own game, don't. It's not going to work. Almost every Republican on that stage during the primaries in 2016 tried it, and they fell flat on their face. It's not going to work. So you might as well, and I know this is an absurd and foreign concept for Democrats, but you might want to try to run on policy. It's a little bit of an uphill battle when things are going so well in this country, but you might want to give the policy thing a shot. You're not going to beat Donald Trump at his own game. It is not going to happen. Elizabeth Warren doing the same thing. She's attacking Trump as well. Now, Trump going on the offensive over the weekend. He's done up this tweet. Let me read this tweet to you. This is so good. Almost fell out of my chair when I read this. He said, today, Elizabeth Warren, sometimes referred to, referred to by me as Pocahontas, joined the race for president. Will she run as our first Native American presidential candidate? Or has she decided that after 32 years, this is not playing so well anymore? See you on the campaign trail, Liz. <laughs> Will she run as our first Native American presidential candidate? (laughs) Can't make that up. That's so good. And uh, people, uh, because of that last line where he said, see you on the campaign trail, Liz, uh, people are calling Trump racist yet again, saying that that's a racist tweet because it's referring to the Trail of Tears, where many Native Americans lost their lives. So Donald Trump is a big fat racist again. Same song and dance. That's not going to vote well either for Democrats. If you want to keep playing the race card, all those people that voted for Trump the first time, they were sick of the race card getting played for eight freaking years during the Obama administration. So my advice Don't remind them about the Obama administration. It's not going to work. Democrats are setting themselves up for failure. And I I don't want to paint this rosy picture that Donald Trump's going to have a sweeping victory and everybody can be relaxed and not worried about it because anything can happen between now and November of 2019. Anything can happen. But if we're just looking at a policy standpoint and tactics of of a presidential race, the Democrats are way behind the eight ball right now. And they are going to have to scramble to reach middle America again because they've completely lost them. Your coastal areas, your, your Virginias, your West Virginias, your Carolinas, your, your Midwestern states, your Missouris, your Iowas. Uh, uh, all these guys, like, you've lost them. You've lost them. And you're not going to bring them back by what you're doing at this moment. When you've got jabronis like AOC talking about the new Green Deal, letting farmers know, hey, we're looking to put you out of business. We'll talk about that in a second, though. I want to play uh, a stop, uh, one of, I guess this was Elizabeth Warren's first campaign stop for uh, for her bid 
for president. And uh, needless to say, it is a room of what seems to be, I don't know, 15 to 20 people, which you can assume that that's all she could get together for a campaign rally because she's just, I mean, let's be honest, she's just not that exciting. She just sounds like somewhat of an angry librarian. But this is what it sounded like at her first campaign rally, if you can even call it a rally. I don't know if that's uh we'll just call it the first town hall at the library. But here it is. It's the first full day of my campaign. And one of the things we're going to have to decide about how campaigns go forward is about what Donald Trump does every day. Every day, there's a racist tweet, a hateful tweet, something really dark and ugly. And what are we as candidates, as activists, as the press going to do about that? We're going to chase after those every, every day? Are we going to let him use those to divide us? You know, here's what bothers me. By the time we get to 2020, Donald Trump may not even be president. <laughs> Listen to all those people. In fact, he may not even be a free person. <laughs> but here's how I see it. Donald Trump is not the only problem we've got. Yeah, Donald Trump is the, cis, is the symptom. Of oh, she's so out of breath. <laughs> like, I mean, this is Hillary 2.0. It really is. Like, she's going to be passing out at 9-11 memorials and all kinds of stuff. You watch, it'll happen. She's out of breath just from talking about Donald Trump. And she can't even speak, really. She's got the angry librarian, Phil, and on top of that, she's out of breath and she keeps mispronouncing her words. A badly broken system. So our job, as we start rolling into the next election, is not just to respond on a daily basis. It's to talk about what we understand that is broken in this country, talk about what needs to be done to change it, and talk about how we're going to do that. Because that is not only how we win, it's how we make the change we need to make. So, Oh, she just had a Jeb Bush moment, too. After she said that, she had to raise her hand like, please clap. <laughs> that is so, so good. Um... Yeah, you notice what she said at the end of that. She's like, "We uh, the biggest thing we need to do is we need to talk about it. And talking about it is what changes things in this country. No, actually it doesn't. Action is what changes things in this country, not talking. That's another tactic the Democrats are never going to win with. Constantly talking about talking. That's what they should put on their banners. Elizabeth Warren, 2020, talking about talking. Talking don't get it done, cuz. Plus, when you've got one side, Elizabeth Warren's side, 
that refuses to talk to the other side, Donald Trump's side, then guess what? Even talking about talking is not going to help you talk, if that makes any sense. Talking about talking, Elizabeth Warren. That's uh, currently her campaign slogan. It's her stance, and that's what she's running on, talking. On the other hand, people that aren't as excited about their political careers right now are those in Virginia. Virginia has turned into a full-blown political dumpster fire. And I have not seen a dumpster fire of this sort in a long time. And I mean a real long time, if ever. This may be the worst one I've ever seen. As far as a state-level political uh, scandal. Because it's not well, it's not just a scandal. It's like three or four scandals wrapped into one. This makes Robert Bentley's love gov reaching around from behind and giving a back hog seem like child's play. The dermatologist's reach around is nothing compared to what's going on in Virginia. Now, first of all, you've got, as you know, and I won't go through the story, but you've got blackface Ralph Northam, the governor. You've got Justin Fairfax, the lieutenant governor, who is now facing his second accuser that is accusing him of sexual assault. He is admitted to being with these people and uh, getting some hanky-panky in, but that it was consensual. That's not a good look. It would be better if you pretended you didn't even know the people. Then third, you have the attorney general, who would be third in line if the other two resign, who has also admitted to wearing blackface. That after he said Northam should resign for wearing blackface. After that, it leaves the Speaker of the House in line as the number four. And uh, he's a Republican. So the, top, the other three are Democrats, and they refuse to resign because they don't want to hand power over the Republicans. Pretty uh, simple scenario to understand. Uh, but it's getting bad. Like, real bad. Ralph Northam was on, and let me see if I can find this. Here we go. He was on Good Morning America. Is that what the show was? Let's see. No, he's on CBS this morning. And I guess this was yesterday. Yesterday morning. He was on CBS this morning. And he did an interview with, who does that show? Gail King. So he's doing a, a, an interview with Gail King, and at one point he gets corrected because he talks about uh, the slaves being brought over to this country, right? In the early days of, of America, when, when that stuff was going on. And he kept referring to them as indentured servants. Well, Gail King wasn't happy about that, and she had to correct him and say, you mean slavery, Right. I know this has been a very difficult week for you in the state of Virginia, so where would you like to begin? Well, it has been a, a difficult week, and, and you know, if you look at Virginia's history, we're now uh, at the 400-year anniversary, uh, just 90 miles from here. Uh, in 1619, the first uh, indentured servants from Africa landed on our shores in 
Old Point Comfort, what we call now Fort Monroe. And while also known as slavery. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's slavery. That's right. He's not a well-spoken guy either. Seems like if you're going to be in office, seems like you've got to be able to have it together enough to do some some public speaking. Because isn't that like a, a giant portion of the job description? Not sounding like a buffoon when you're doing interviews or press conferences or anything like that. I'm just asking, just wondering. He had a that wasn't even the most absurd part of his interview. The craziest part was when he talked about what's next and how, at this point, what Virginia needs to do is to heal. And he says the best person for the job to help Virginia heal is him because, and I quote, he's a doctor. Oh, man. Listen to this. This is fantastic. How you think you still deserve this job when so many people are calling for you to step down? Well, again, we, we have worked very hard. Uh, we've had a good first year, and, and I'm a leader. Uh, I've been in some very difficult situations, life and death situations, taking care of sick children. And right because now... you're a doctor, yeah. Right now, Virginia needs someone that can heal. Uh, there's no better person to do that than a doctor. Virginia also needs someone who is strong, who has empathy, who has courage, and who has a moral compass. And that's why I'm not going anywhere. I have learned from this. I have a lot more to learn. But we're in a unique opportunity now. I, again, the 400-year anniversary of, of uh, the history, whether it be good or bad, uh, in Virginia to really make some impactful changes. of slavery in this country, yes. in this state, yeah. Did you? <laughs> she had to remind him to call it slavery again. because She's like, don't you say indentured servant. Do you hear, though, you, you hear the pompous attitude of this guy, and this is, this is an attitude that is, it, it runs throughout the entire Democrat Party, okay? This is just their demeanor. This is, this is a requirement a personality requirement for you to be a part of the Democratic Party. Loving yourself, thinking so highly of yourself, and knowing that nobody is better suited for the job than you. You're the best person of ever. I realize Donald Trump thinks that too, but the difference is Donald Trump's actually getting stuff done and turning this country around. He's not running around wearing blackface. So, <laughs> so to be a Democrat, you have to be absolutely full of yourself. Now, listen, listen to what he says about who is the best person for this job and how he describes himself. Uh, there's no better person to do that than a doctor. Virginia also needs someone who is strong, who has empathy, who has courage, and who has a moral compass. And that's why I'm not going. Strong, has empathy, has a moral compass. He just described himself with all those adjectives. Those are adjectives, right? He just described himself in that way. And after uh, a, a, a time, a scandal, or in the midst of a scandal where he needs to be 
uh, humble and remorseful and be on like a full-blown apology tour, uh, that's what he's got to say about himself. Not, I screwed up, but, you know, I'm, there's nothing I can do to fix this, or and, uh, there's not going to be enough apologies that I can I can muster to fix this. It's, hey, I'm strong. I'm the right man for a job. Virginia needs to heal, and guess what? I'm a doctor. What if Robert Bentley, after his scandal, he's like, you know what? Alabama's got a really bad rash. And that's what makes me the right man for the job, because I'm a dermatologist. You think we'd accept that in Alabama? Alabama's got a rash. And I'm the right man for the job. I'm serious, y'all. You can't you can't make none of this up. This is why I get so excited about talking about these things. They just get better and better and better and better. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take one more break. We're going to come back on the other side. We're going to talk about cows farting. And the legal age of buying cigarettes in Hawaii is about to be raised to age 100. You heard that right. Overthelineshow.com. Andrew McLean, February 11th, 2019. Don't go anywhere. Try to speak. 
Stay on the Virginia stuff just for a second. So, Sarah Dolan, and I assume this is the reporter that uh, approached Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I don't know who she is or who she's with, but she simply just asked a a very prominent Democrat in, in Congress right now. Everybody wants to know what she thinks about things. So she goes up to ask AOC what she thinks about the fact that Justin Fairfax of Virginia, the lieutenant governor, keeps getting leveled with sexual assault allegations. And uh, this was her response. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it very clearly, but I'm going to play it and I'll tell you if you didn't hear it, what she said on the other side. Let me do this. Let me let me try and do this the right way, and because uh, you're not going to be able to hear it if I play it like that. <laughs> that's uh, that's not a good start. One more time, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and uh, on her way to some a hearing or something. I don't know what she was doing. We're, we're on our way to the floor for votes. Right? It won't take too long. I just wanted to ask you, uh, Congressman. Congresswoman, I just wanted to ask if you think that the accuser of uh, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax should be believed. I didn't quite catch the end. I'm sorry about that. I said I look forward to looking into the scenario, but I haven't heard She said, I don't know anything at all about the situation. The most outspoken member of Congress right now doesn't know anything at all about the Justin Fairfax stuff. Can you imagine? Here's the thing. I'm actually not going to hold that against her because I think she's actually uh, 
I think she's being honest. I seriously think she does not know anything about it. Like, she has never heard of such a thing. Who's this Justin Fairfax fellow you speak of? Never heard of him. I would not be surprised. Anyway, speaking of AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she um she has the Green New Deal, which by the way, the Green New Deal excludes uh mentioning the LGBTQ community. It talks about how it affects all these other people but doesn't really bring up the uh the gays and the lesbians and the the trans people. So, she'll catch a heat for that and she'll have to change it. But here is the assertion from the Green New Deal. This is kind of the uh, the synopsis or the forward to the book of the Green New Deal, if you will. It says, climate change, pollution, and environmental destruction have exacerbated systematic... Uh, I'm sorry. Exacerbated systemic... Racial, regional, social, environmental, and economic injustices referred to in this preamble as systemic injustices. By disproportionately affecting indigenous peoples, communities of color, migrant communities, deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities, the poor, low income workers, women, the elderly, the unhoused, which is PC for homeless, people with disabilities, and youth. No mention of the LGBT. It also says to promote justice and equity by stopping current, preventing future, and repairing historic oppression of indigenous peoples, communities of color, migrant communities, deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and it basically just says the same thing all over again. No mention of the LGBTQ, though. That's odd. Where is, uh, what's our explanation for this? That You want to talk about injustice? You didn't mention the trans people. But apparently this Green New Deal is uh, so absurd that the American people are absolutely going to laugh at it when we, when we see it. There, there are Republicans in Congress, and it may have been uh, McCarthy that said this. I can't remember. But they said, uh, we're actually begging the Democrats to put the Green New Deal on the floor for a vote so the American people can actually see what's in it and see how absolutely absurd it is. Even if you agree with climate change, you will see how absurd this is. That's what they're saying. That's, that's how bad this thing is. Because it goes back into the cow farts and, and all this other stuff that would basically crash the economy of this country. You know, getting rid of the coal. Or Hillary Clinton's putting coal miners out of business. Uh, killing the, breaking the backs of the farmers. All this stuff. All, all the stuff that that middle America needs to survive, the Democrats are actually trying to trying to put them out of business, put them in the poorhouse, if you will. 
and telling them it's okay because we're going to build a solar panel factory in your town and you're going to have a new job and you're going to love it. We're going to we're going to take you off that silly ranch and we're going to turn you into a computer programmer. We're going to take you out of that coal mines and we're going to have you coding for video games. We're going to have you working for Epic Games. You're going to be playing Fortnite all day. That's what that's that's literally what they're pitching to the American people. The people that they lost in 2016 because of a guy that spoke to them and said, hey, I'm going to make sure you get your jobs back. And because of a weak candidate propped up by the Democrats, they lost those Democrat voters that they had, they, they had for so long. They had the hardworking blue-collar Americans for so long because the Democrats used to be the party of those people. They used to be. But they kept going left. And they kept going left. And now after the election of Donald Trump, they didn't keep that steady trend of going left. They stomped on the gas pedal and zoomed as far left as they could get and are in full-blown socialism mode. They're in socialism mode. They're in anti-Semitic mode. Think about this. Think about where the Democrats in Congress currently stand. Socialism, anti-Israel, an anti-American worker. That's where they're at. That's, that's currently where they stand. And if Democrat leadership had any sort of brain power, they would stand up to that and say, you know what, this is, this is not what we stand for. For these people, for, for Klobuchar, for, for Elizabeth Warren, for Kristen Gillibrand, for any of these people that are going to be running for office, running for the White House, they would be smart to say, you know what, those aren't my views. You can say, I hate Donald Trump, I don't like his policies, I think there's different things we can do, blah, 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 blah. But I don't stand for this socialism stuff. And I don't stand for this anti-Semitic, anti-Israel stuff. That's not me. But they don't. They stay silent. The champions of the Me Too movement, the people that lost their minds over, over Accusations leveled against Brett Kavanaugh and Roy Moore. Silent on Justin Fairfax. Not making a peep. Imagine that. But as far as the Green New Deal goes, it's a joke. And the president, who is in the business of trolling and mocking, as you know, had to take time over the weekend to mock the New Green Deal. Green New Deal, whatever it's called. The Green New Deal. Here's what he said. He said, I think it is very important for the Democrats to press forward with their Green New Deal. It would be great for the so-called carbon footprint to permanently eliminate all planes, cars, cows, oil, gas, and the military, even if no other country would do the same. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> That's what they're doing. He's not wrong. Democrats literally think that eliminating planes, cars, cows, oil, gas, and even eliminating the military, that's, that's how far left they've gone. That's not a stretch. They actually think that. And that should be scary for everybody.
But the fact that Donald Trump will just come out and call him on it, I think it's fantastic. Also, speaking of tweets, Rob Lowe, over the weekend, if you follow over the line on Facebook, you saw I posted a tweet from Rob Lowe. And that tweet said, uh, Elizabeth Warren would bring a whole new meaning to Commander-in-Chief. Get it? She's Native American, Chief, President. <laughs> it's funny, right? I thought it was funny. So I posted that tweet on uh, on the Over the Line page. Well, then, the next day, as I'm flipping through Twitter, first of all, I see the comments in, his, uh, in, in, in the comment portion of that tweet. And they said things like, Don't, Jesus, or... It's racist, and it's mean, and you may not like Elizabeth Warren, but this is not the way to express it. Uh, what a raw blow. That's not funny. And then eventually, because of his Hollywood elite friends, they were so butthurt over this, that he finally came back with another tweet and said, I deleted my Elizabeth Warren tweet. It was a joke, and some peeps got upset. And that's never my intention. Sad situation. Comedy's under attack in this country. The one thing that is meant to bring us together, comedy, is under attack. If it hurts somebody's feelings, it's got to go. Rob Lowe fell victim to that. Should have never deleted his tweet. I mean, if you've got friends that are willing to cut ties with you over a tweet, especially of that nature, they're not really friends. I assure you. Do you want to hang out with people that you've got to constantly walk on eggshells around? What kind of friend is that? Right? Am I right? I'm right. Uh, last but not least, before we get out of here, apparently, U.S. cigarette smokers in the state of Hawaii might have to wait a very, very long time for their first legal hit off of a Marlboro because lawmakers have introduced a bill that would bar sales to anyone under the age of 100. You have to be 100 years of age to buy cigarettes in Hawaii if this legislation passes. It was introduced by Richard Cregan Democrat, of course, and would effectively amount to uh, a cigarette ban by 2024. Now, Hawaii's already got some uh, some some of the toughest laws on cigarettes, but this guy, who is apparently an ER doctor, he says more needs to be done to ban the deadliest artifact in human history. The deadliest artifact in human history is tobacco, my friend. You say that until you get stung by a bee. And you need that tobacco to get that stinger out. He said, basically, we essentially have a group who are heavily addicted, in my view, enslaved by a ridiculously bad industry, which has enslaved them by designing a cigarette that is highly addictive, knowing that it is highly lethal. And it is. So under current law, you got to be 21 to, to buy cigarettes in Hawaii. Although here in the mainland, it's like 18, 19 years old. 21 in Hawaii. 
I'm a I'm 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 a proponent of state government. I think the smaller the government, the more localized the government, the better. And I mean that's all the way down to your city councils. You know what I'm saying? I, I say the smaller the better. Because at that point, you're more your voice is more likely to be heard. The people's opinions are more likely to be heard. So I'm in favor of Hawaii being able to make their own decisions. But I think it's completely stupid to go full-blown nanny state on these people and tell them that you can't buy cigarettes. They're just, they're too dangerous for you. Now, cigarettes are dangerous. Uh, so I'm not really understanding the law. I haven't seen the actual legislation, but I just wonder if this means you can't buy tobacco, like just regular tobacco and like roll your own smokes. Is it the stuff that the cigarette companies put in the cigarettes that you're against? Whatever. I say let the people of Hawaii smoke. Smoke away. All the cigarettes you want. Society will end up weeding out cigarettes if they're bad enough. You already see a large portion moving over to vapes and dumping the cigarettes. Just let the free market work its way through. Quit legislating every aspect of people's lives. They don't like it. They don't like it. Anyway, guys, we're out of here. Thank y'all so much for hanging out today. Check out the podcast on any of your favorite podcast apps. And we'll be back tomorrow with a brand new episode. Until next time, see you, cuz.